Diamonds Late Night. Let me see you go back. Let me see you come in. Now let me see you go back. Let me see you come in. Let me see you go back. anyone. 
right? There's a lot of shame and blame going on in the world. We're going to be talking with Patricia in a little bit. Throughout this podcast, we'll be featuring music by Aaliyah's Age Ain't Nothing But a Number, courtesy of Sony Music. You know, if you could take away 2020, then we would all be an age younger, but unfortunately, we're all an age older. So let's make the most of this time together. Uh, before we continue, I just want to make you aware that there's a woman out there in the universe impersonating my organization, DivaBetic. We are a nonprofit, and she's been impersonating us on social media. She's created an Instagram account, YouTube, Facebook, and podcasts bearing our name, and she's even illegally selling merchandise for her own personal finances. You know, when I started DivaBetic back in 2003, I have legal claim to it with copyrights. It became a nonprofit. We do not make all the money we make goes into funding our outreach programs. And you know for a fact that all those programs have been free. Uh, and in many ways, she has been, um, this woman has been suggesting that she's somehow connected with DivaBetic, and that is not true. This, of course, is heartbreaking to me, but I want to thank everyone who has reached out and showed their support to me as we review our options. So, I just want to tell you, if you're trying to reach the nonprofit, please go to divabetic.org. I'm Mr. Divabetic, mrdivabetic at gmail.com. You can find us, and uh, we'd be more than happy to help you live a happy, healthy life with diabetes. In the meantime, you can check out 5 Equals 10 Men's Underwear Merchandise. Uh, they're donating 10% of their company profits to nonprofits like DivaBetic to help make the world a better place. Please go to divabetic.org for more details. Now, our musical inspiration is the niece of entertainment lawyer Barry Hankerson and, get this, the legendary singer Gladys Knight. She was signed for her first record label at the age of 12. Really? That's incredible. Here's a snippet from another song off the album called Throw Your Hands Up, courtesy of Sony Music. The time is to the recipient of the American Music um, Mer- I was going to say American Music Award. Yes, no. Uh, American Diabetes Association Outstanding Educator 2019. But right now, uh, we know so much about Virginia Valentine. She doesn't know that much about Divabetics, so I thought we'd just get a little history lesson and we're going to bring in Patricia Addy Gentle in a minute. But what I find so interesting about the time we're living in right now is that it's been 18 years since I founded DivaBetic, and I have worked with wonderful educators like Patricia for all that time to help people overcome feelings of shame and blame related to a diagnosis of type 2 diabetes. I have seen personally, as a gay man who lived through the AIDS crisis, how self-loathing and isolation could undermine someone's ability to kind of rise to the daily challenges of managing their health. In this case, we're talking, obviously, about diabetes health. 
And uh, it's amazing to me that there's a new group of people today being shamed and blamed. Uh, people who've contracted COVID are being judged in a similar matter, in my opinion, as those who have been diagnosed with lung cancer, like I said earlier, HIV and AIDS, as well as, yes, type 2 diabetes. Why can't we see how some of this righteous indignations are causing more than harm than good? I mean, more and more reports are indicating that people who contract COVID are de dealing with long-term health complications. And many of those people are dealing with diabetes on top of a COVID diagnosis. So is this human nature? Are people thinking there's some kind of cause and effect that if, you know, if I judge you and I feel better because you screwed up or you caused it, that I, I should feel better about myself? I'm wondering why this is going on. So I wanted to bring in Patricia Addy Gentle to talk about it. Hi, Patricia. Hi, Max. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for kicking off the new year with us, the new year, new you. And, you know, uh, Virginia Valentine has spent a lot of time in her career dealing with shame and blame. She'll be joining us later. But I just want to get your read on what you see happening right now with how people are looking at COVID. Um, it, it's amazing that, as you stated, there have been so many conditions uh, where we have bashed people or labeled them as being lazy or just not uh, caring and sensitive enough to take care of themselves in so many instances, even with obesity. You know, you have people sitting around the table judging what others are eating or why do they eat in such ways. But uh, the same thing, as you stated, is occurring with the COVID epidemic. Um, why did you go where you went or why are you uh, not wearing your mask or social distancing or why are you traveling to visit loved ones and relatives? And so we do see a lot of shaming, uh, blaming. Um, if you smoke, as you stated, with uh, lung disease, lung cancer and lung disease as well, it's like, well, why do you continue to smoke? But we do have to understand that there are certain uh, reasons why people react and behave the way that they do. And when we are antagonizing or continuing to bash them, it does not help. It doesn't help at all. So we have to find other ways, alternatives, to try and change behavior. And that is a difficult one because, as you know, in diabetes education, um, the goal is at the end of a self-management group, that's what we're actually doing is trying to elicit that behavior change so that there are better outcomes. And so, but shaming, blaming is definitely not a way to cause a behavior change. Yeah, I so agree. I, I love what you said, and I hope people take that word to their heart because I feel like the diabetes community could take the lead on this and embracing and supporting people. You know, there's so many people out there who are being diagnosed every day with COVID, and, we're, and thankfully many of them are surviving, but some of them are going to be dealing with long-term health consequences, and it's just awful to think that they're going to be dealing with some of the self-loathing, self-hating 
uh, emotions that many people with type 2 diabetes face because people just think that they did it to themselves. And, and I, I thought it was important to talk about that today. So uh, thanks, Patricia. I really appreciate you joining me at the top of the well, show. Well, I'd like to add that, that um, I even, when I was doing a little research, I even found, and I, I was not aware of this, but social media had come up with a way of, blame and shame with COVID, uh, taking pictures of people in large gatherings and adding the hashtag of COVID idiots. And I, I've never seen that. I haven't seen it. But that is one of the ways that they, I guess a certain group feels that they could change behavior by doing so. But it's definitely not uh, effective. And one of the things that I read included that local um, communities could try to be more supportive, and one of the things they suggested was to, within a community, to add uh, spaces that are safe for people together. And, of course, we always see the um, tips and strategies on how to travel a little safer than, you know, your regular norm, but use those tips add, um, you know, parks and open spaces and equip them with fire pits was one of the suggestions so that gatherings could take place there in some instances. Yeah, lots of creative ways to help people overcome this. And I just want people to know that we're a safe place to go. And if you want to uh, chime in on either side of this equation, reach out to us through Facebook at DivaBetic, either in our public group or on our fan page, or go to DivaBetic.org and send us a message. Uh, straight ahead, it's time for more music, though, Patricia. I know you're an Aaliyah fan, I would think. Are you an Aaliyah fan? Yes, I love Aaliyah. Well, you know, I think you and I are considered part of the old school, so this one's dedicated to you. <laughs> We're going to listen to Aaliyah's old school courtesy of Sony Music. Let's listen. I'm in the old school, people. I am in the old school. <laughs> hey, boy, won't you play for me? And tonight we're going to follow up on that conversation we started back in December about the gut microbiome. You know, uh, that's a lot to handle for someone like me who goes to the doctor's office and immediately reaches for People magazine, not uh, modern science. So I wanted to take more time to talk about this topic on two shows rather than just one. And we're going to talk about the few action steps for people with type 2 diabetes and how to improve their health through their gut microbiome. And that's why we are so lucky and grateful to have the recipient of the American Diabetes Association's 2019 Outstanding Educator in Diabetes Award recipient. She knows firsthand what it's like to experience the struggles that come with having diabetes. She's had type 2 diabetes for several decades, and uh, she's used her reactions to get 
Um, she's used to getting those reactions when she meets someone new for the first time. So please welcome to the show Virginia Valentine. Hello, Virginia. Hi. Thank you so much, Max. I love the music. It was great. Oh, thanks. We're uh, every every month we we spotlight more music just to kind of make diabetes outreach more appealing. We're so grateful to work with Sony Music and present music from all kinds of different artists, including Aaliyah. So I appreciate. It. Are you a big music fan? Uh, some you know some. I'm mostly old school. <laughs> like you know, listen to oldies. Um, yeah. I was I was doing a lot of research on you over the past couple of weeks, and you were on a podcast with Meg, and you were really talking about how um, important it is that diabetes educators who are living with diabetes tell their patients that that they have diabetes too. And you mentioned that Thank many you. educators turn to uh, tend not to. And I just wanted to get your Tell us a little bit about that and why it, why you think you've been had such great outcomes when you do tell patients that you're living with diabetes. So um, it's it's incredible how many healthcare professionals I meet, physicians, nurses, dietitians, educators that uh, are still keeping it a secret. They don't want to be, and it's because. They're believing the same blame and shame attitude. Uh, they've, you know, placed it on other patients, so they don't want to. Uh, they're kind of blaming and shaming themselves, so they don't want to admit that they have diabetes. But when you do say to a person with diabetes, uh, "I have diabetes too," and it's I've had it for 40 years, over 40 years, and uh, so people, I mean, literally, I've, I've seen people lean forward. They, they lighten up. They brighten up. Um, they're so happy to know that somebody, you know, A, lives, has lived with it for over 40 years, that I, that I don't have any complications of diabetes. I've been very fortunate in that I uh, very early uh, connected with some of the top professionals in the country on diabetes, and they've been my personal mentors over the years. So I've always had the opportunity, uh, the good drugs and all that stuff, to keep my blood sugars in really, really good control. So um, well, I, you, I, I like so many things about you, but one of the things I liked in that interview is you discussed uh, your own issues with not only working out but managing your weight. And um, in that in the interview with Meg, you mentioned how difficult it was and that you were, you know, you went for a long time of being able to go do aerobics or some kind of group exercise and then you just kind of fell off. And I think it's so important for people uh, who are living with diabetes to know that it is hard. As much as the general public may want to make it just sound like, you know, snap your finger, go ahead and you could do this. It is overwhelming, and, and I, I want to talk a little bit about that because in your own way of just dealing with the day-to-day management, it, has, it, must, it must be a comfort to some of the communities you're serving in New Mexico to know that you also understand the stress, the burden, the time, the energy that goes along with managing type 2 diabetes. Yeah, and I try to tell people, I'm the queen of starting over, you know. So, so just because 
you don't go do the exercises today doesn't mean that you get to eat a whole chocolate cake. You know, so you start over on the exercise tomorrow or you start over on uh, staying on your low-carb diet. Every day is an opportunity to start over, and there's so many different aspects. There's the medications. There's, you know, tracking your blood sugar. There's staying active, and then there's staying with your diet. So there's all different kinds of facets. And um, you may not be doing everything all at once. If I had to prioritize, though, all those different things, I would say taking your medications is the most important because you can get away with a little bit of, you know, uh, not doing as much exercise as you should and this and that. But if you're taking your medications every day as, you know, as you know you're supposed to, it can help you kind of be forgiven for some of that. You know, I'm glad you brought that up because um, my personal story is I found my former boss, Luther Vandross, after he he suffered a debilitating stroke from mismanagement of type 2 diabetes. (laughs) And Luther, as many fans know, struggled with his weight for many years. And, you know, the thing that I have come across in the 18 years that I've been doing outreach advocacy on my own is that um, people don't have a plan. And I'm specifically talking about type 2 diabetes. They are told from the very beginning, in many cases, not everyone, that they could get rid of it. And so because they could get rid of it, no one really sits down, like you said, and just says you need, you know, you need to take your medication. You need to have a plan in action that you could follow with your diabetes so that you could move forward and, quote, unquote, I don't like to use this term, but get rid of it. But if you, don't, if you don't have a plan and your game is just to get rid of it, when things happen that stop you from getting rid of it, then you have no net to fall. And I'm just curious because I have this conversation many times with educators in the room where we talk about this, and I just feel like people, I just want to know where you land with this because you are serving underserved communities in New Mexico. You know that some of these uh, people you're seeing probably spend six to uh, eight minutes with their doctors at most. You know that they don't have, I would think they don't have all the newest technologies, all the things available on smartphones right. and, and not to manage it. How do you deal with someone who, you know, when they, with, with this question, like, you know, do you have a plan or do you just focus on getting rid of it and never really trying to understand it? Exactly. And you know what? When the Diabetes Prevention Program announced their results, it was one of the most devastating things. It's the most negative impact because they said with a three-and-a-half-year study that it uh, you can prevent diabetes. And they didn't prevent it in everybody. I mean, you were 60% less likely to progress to diabetes if you were uh, losing weight, exercising, and taking metformin. But the thing is, is that that was only a a three-and-a-half-year study. And the truth is, even the people who – I'm all for preventing diabetes, but I rather say to people, you could delay it. Because that's really the truth. If you're newly diagnosed with prediabetes and we 
uh, work with you diligently. I mean, the, the, they they were going to your house and dragging you out to the park to walk. I mean, they're calling you every other day. It was a very intensive. And then you lost 15 pounds. Uh, you could, you had, you know, a less of a chance of progressing to real diabetes. But then when you look at it over many years, uh, the majority of people did progress to diabetes, but they delayed it. That's a good thing. And using those same skills and taking medications, you can prevent uh, not diabetes, but the complications. And so it's and that's the most important thing. That's the most important part is, you know, I'd much rather take a pill than have an amputation. And I get so many people mess every day. Well, I don't like to take pills. You probably won't like uh, having a dialysis either. Choice. So I, I really, I try not to scare people into, but I will if I have to. <laughs> That's what I wanted and, to yeah. ask you because, you know, the people you're working with, and I know we're going to talk about gut health in a minute. We're going to move on to that. But the people you're working with, what works to get a healthy outcome? I mean, are you using scare tactics? I've run. A, I'm, I've never used scare. Patricia Addy Gentle will tell you that I have never used scare tactics because I don't believe in them. But I also hear what you're saying about people who don't want to take the pills, who are, you know, they're afraid of insulin when if you go back to 1922, 23, how they went into the ward of all those uh, children who were dying and they literally brought them back to life with insulin and now somehow through perception we've turned it all the way around that you don't want to even be associated with insulin. It's just so fascinating to me and I want to know because I would just think and maybe you could tell us a little bit more about who those people are you're serving to get the outcomes that you've gotten and to be awarded you know, for the American Diabetes Association to recognize you because I would assume uh, you and I know you have a passionate daughter who also does diabetes um, yeah. and is involved in education. What has worked for you? What can you tell our listeners that has worked for you to help get the outcome? Everybody is different. So what works is to say to, say if you're my patient, Max, so what is it you most want to know from me about your diabetes? So I start by finding out what is it you want to know? What are you most concerned about? You know? And, And then I say, this is not your fault. It's not your fault. This is a gift from Mother Nature. Uh, our ancestors were able to store fat better. We've got that gene, and it's, it's for some, that's our best trick, storing fat, you know. And it worked great for 100,000 years or so. And then when we got all the food we wanted, they even hand it to you through a car window and we don't have to work so hard. We don't have to till the fields and all that. So uh, it became, instead of a life-saving uh, metabolic or disarray, it's, it's, a, it's a disease. So we have to figure out how to work, how to make that work for us. So what is it in your life that you think you want to change? And most people feel blamed. They will come in and start out 
by telling me I'm not a good uh, diabetic, which, by the way, none of us are diabetics. We're people with diabetes. And then we talk about, you know, okay, so what is it you want to change? What would what would be a way that you could do that? What do you think will work for you? Most people have the answers. If you're just listening, intently listening to what it is achieved and how they think that would work and what do you think would work, and then at some point I can say, well, I do have some ideas on that if you'd like to know uh, my thoughts on diet. Diet, uh, and if people want to ask me about the latest, what is the latest thing? You know, like right now it's uh, the uh, part, you know, what is it? The keto and uh, all, right, all, the, and the, yeah. all that stuff. I, and wanted I, tell to, them. I wanted to talk about this, about what's coming up, because you're – you're here to talk a little bit about a supplement that can help people understand their gut health and managing glucose. So, you know, this is interesting. If you go to YouTube, I do a lot of videos where I go out in the city and I'm always asking people uh, what organ in their body produces insulin. And nine times out of 10, people do not get the answer right. So we're not going to talk about the pancreas. We're going to talk about the new pancreas, which apparently is our gut. So, you know, I'm just curious, uh, Virginia, what led you to want to focus on gut health? And how has, I know you're taking glucose control, how has it impacted your diabetes health? Oh, it's wonderful. Well, I've known Orville Coulterman forever. I love him. He's been very active in a number of wonderful diabetes uh, uh, products and, and medications and research and so one day, a number of years ago, we were in a meeting. We were sitting in the back of the room, and I said, so or what's the next big thing? Because I always know he's going to – he knows what's coming. He says, the gut, the microbiome. And then sure enough, a few years later, he comes to me and says, let me tell you about this, this new product. And so, of course, I'm like, well, this is amazing. So I said, let me try this. I want to try it. And so I've been on it for about a year and a half. And he says, well, people, they've actually done clinical trials. Uh, that People's A1C goes down. I said, well, mine's already six, I, I, you know. But I was on insulin. I, I've been on insulin early and then got off for many, many years and then back on. And I reduced my insulin from uh, by half, from 65 down to 32 or something. Uh, and I started losing weight. I lost uh, over the over our pandemic. Uh, in the last year, I've lost 25 pounds, which brought me down into normal weight category. I was a little, I was like in the little overweight category, but I got down to uh, a BMI of 24, which I love. And and I, you know, I've got all these great, you know, cute clothes, and I no place to go. I hate that. <laughs> so, anyway, I one little thing I do want to talk about blaming and shaming, and this just drives me nuts, is when they keep talking about so many people died. But 80% of them had pre-existing conditions, which is just a way to blame people. Oh, yeah, people with diabetes, are, 
they're they're going to die if they get COVID. I hate that. I do too. I I want you know I never like to do this, but I want to have you on a Zoom event with us because since I've researched you, Virginia Valentine, I just feel like you're like a, 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 my spirit animal. I just I I was like, oh my gosh, our messaging is so similar. Oh my gosh, I just I'm so proud that I I'm so know. thankful that Warsaw introduced us to uh, to me me to you, and I'm I'm so uh, grateful that you would spend time with us on this podcast. And I, I just, um, I, I mean, I read, I, I want to even read more about your book, The Complete Handbook to Living Healthy with Type 2 Diabetes, Diabetes the New Type 2, and uh, talk more about that. But uh, you, we're, we're going to have to have you back on the show. I know we've got Colleen coming up who's going to tell us more about how uh, what is helping with the health. So uh, thank you for joining us tonight, Virginia. I really enjoyed it. Oh, definitely. We'll get back together again soon, Max. I've never had a spirit right. animal before, but you're it. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, okay, we're going to dedicate this next song to uh, Virginia Valentine. Uh, Aaliyah, you know, was married to R. Kelly. Yes, we're going to go there for a second. Back in 1994, her, his assistant mentioned that this was true, that they obtained false documents and uh presented it in their infamous uh, infamous wedding ceremony in Rosemont, Illinois. Lots to be said about R. Kelly. I don't want to go there tonight, but I, this is kind of horrifying that this woman who's so talented had to deal with this part in her life. She was 15, and she died at 22, and what she did between those two, uh, those two ages is remarkable. So this is I'm So Into You. I'm dedicated to Virginia Valentine, courtesy of Sony Music. Let's listen. guided meditation with us to help manage our mental health aspects of living with diabetes in these kind of crazy times. But my next guest is a researcher and scientist who's agreed to come on because I was really overwhelmed by the topic of gut microbiome last month. As you know, listeners, I'm a People magazine reader, and uh, Hope Warsaw, my good friend, said, Max, have Colleen on. Colleen um, has a Ph.D. in um, Bi- uh, biochemistry and molecular biology. Good grief. Really, Colleen? This is so fascinating. I did research her, so let's just bring her on the show to talk more about how the new pancreas is actually your gut. Please welcome Colleen Cutliff to the show. Hello, Colleen. Hi, Max. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm so excited because this is kind of overwhelming for someone who would much rather be living, uh, listening to Olivia Newton-John than reading a, a popular science book. So I, I'm just fascinated because this is really a personal uh, story for you about what got you involved. As I understand, you had a young daughter dealing with food allergies, and that really kind of uh, started you thinking about 
what is your gut telling you and how can your gut be affecting your overall health? Can you tell us a little bit about what led you in this direction to focus on the gut microbiome? Absolutely. Well, let me let me start by asking you a question, Max. Um, have you ever met someone who appears to just be able to eat and drink whatever they want to and never exercise, and yet they never seem to gain weight? They seem perfectly healthy with their metabolism? I think that would be Whitney Houston, and yes, I will say yes to that. But we found out she was doing yes. a couple other things on the side. <laughs> Well, Whitney used maybe had other reasons why she was able to stay skinny. But we meet these people, and we sort of chalk it up to this, you know, they have a magical metabolism. Something about them allows them to metabolize things much better than the rest of us mere mortals. Um, and what's really emerging here is this new science around the microbiome that is showing us that it's not just about what you eat, but it's about how your body digests the food that you eat. And it turns out that there are all of these bugs in your gut, these bacteria, and every time you eat food, your microbiome digests that food. And for some people, they are missing the microbes that allow them to digest food properly, while other people have a ton of these microbes that allow them to digest their food a lot more efficiently. And so what we're realizing as we think about things like metabolism and obesity and diabetes is that People have been really focused on things like nutrition and exercise, and of course those things are very important, but there seems to be this unknown, but why is it? Why is it that some people are doing all the right things and yet still battling this disease? And one of the things that's really emerging is that it's the gut microbiome, and that if you don't have the right gut microbiome, you're missing certain components, that you're kind of at a real disadvantage for metabolizing your food. And for me personally, that came uh, really to light for me when I had my first daughter, who was born almost two months premature. And when you have a baby that's born that early, you get to see them for a few seconds, and then she got taken away from me to intensive care. She spent the first month of her life really hooked up to all these machines and monitors and receiving multiple doses of antibiotics. Um, and one of the things that antibiotics do is they completely decimate your microbiome. They kill all the microbes in there. And so she was starting out her life with this missing functions and missing microbes and this deficit. And as she got older, I started to notice things about her that were different from the rest of our family around how her body metabolizes food and certain food sensitivities. And that really got me fully embedded in the microbiome. I knew the science was interesting. I knew there was this missing component that we could really understand. And now I knew that I could create a product that could help millions of people, including my own daughter. I love it, and I actually really love the analogy you gave on a recent podcast or video chat where you're saying, like, the gut microbiome is like a garden and what's growing in your garden, if we look at it that way, you know, because it just took it out of science for me and went more visual, and I just found that so interesting about what do you want to grow in your garden to help you kind of digest sugar and digest um, fiber. So. Uh, moving this slowly along, for those of us who were in art class, not in science, sorry, Colleen, um, but I just want to figure this out. So what do you, what you really were able to identify and what this product, uh, Glucose Control, does is it really does help you metabolize sugar and it does help you metabolize fiber and it's even helped people who don't have diabetes see results. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. Um, I do. I, I would say that before I wanted to become a scientist, I wanted to be an architect and love drawing and love art. Um, and one of the things people don't necessarily know about science is that it is really creative. Your, 
you're trying to understand how the world works um, and then also trying to figure out how do you influence that in order to benefit people and, and in our case really trying to think about health and so um, what we did was we said okay let's really try to understand what is going on in people's gut microbiomes who are able to have this great metabolism and compare it to people who are struggling with it, people with type 2 diabetes. And what we, what we really honed in on was looking at twins. So there are twins who are what's called discordant, meaning one twin uh, has one kind of a health condition and the other twin has a different health condition. And these twins are really interesting because if you have a twin with diabetes and a twin who doesn't have diabetes and you want to understand what's the root cause, you can start to look at their microbiome as what's different because genetically they're identical. So now you're saying, what is it about this whole uh, nature versus nurture question? But from the, from the nature side of things, they're exactly the same. So there's something about the environment that is different between them. And what we found was that it was in their gut microbiome. So somehow along the way, the twin that got diabetes had lost certain microbiome functions. They'd lost certain of these microbes that are in their gut, and that's what caused them to end up going on this road of not being able to metabolize their food properly and not having the right insulin and glucose response that their twin had. And we lose these microbes through things uh, like our nutrition and our exercise, but what's being discovered is that we lose these microbes for reasons that are also completely outside of our control. The kinds of things that can lead you to lose the diversity for microbiome include stress, aging, circadian rhythm. Every time you travel and day and night become different. For women, when they, we go through menopause, always these, these different things that happen to us in life as we age, as we deal with stress, as we deal with all these factors that are outside of our control cause us to lose microbes. And sometimes those microbes that we lose are things that are really important to our metabolism. And so what we did was we tried to understand what are these different things and how do they fit together and how can we try to give back these missing functions and these missing bugs to people who've lost them along the way? I love this because I think, like I was saying to Virginia earlier, most people don't even know what their pancreas does in their body, but we all understand our stomach. We all at some point make a connection between the food we eat and some kind of response in our body, whether it's a a sour stomach, whether it's some kind of digestive issue, whatever it is, you know, we, we can connect. So I think this is so interesting. So then the this um, I want to talk about glucose control because you've been taking it, your daughter's been taking it, your husband's been taking it. You've also had an enormous amount of research behind it. Talk to us a little bit about that and the outcomes you've seen with pendulum glucose control. Yes, absolutely. We spent almost a decade creating this product and really creating it the same way you would a pharmaceutical drug. So starting in the lab, uh, you know, suiting up every day and heading into the lab to try to figure out what are the different components that are important to the microbiome, and then performing preclinical trials and clinical trials. And the idea here is, could we create a product that had the efficacy of a drug but the safety of a probiotic. And I'm really proud to say that the team that I've been working with is amazing, and that's actually what we've created. And so in a recently published clinical trial, we showed that this product, Pendulum Glucose Control, compared to placebo, so this is a placebo-controlled, double-blinded, randomized trial. And in this trial, compared to placebo, patients who were on the product saw a reduction of uh, their A1C by 0.6 and a lowering of their glucose spikes, the area under the curve, by 33%. And so that is as efficacious as some of these small molecule drugs that people are taking. But at the end of the day, this is really a probiotic. These are strains that are naturally in people. 
uh, and all we're doing is we're giving them back to people. And it really is about the food you eat and how your body metabolizes it. And so one of the most fascinating things that we've discovered is that for our customers, not only are they seeing their A1C drop and their blood glucose spikes drop, which is what we studied in the trial while we developed the product, but they're also experiencing things that were unexpected. So, for example, we see, we hear from customers, nine out of 10 of them have improved GI distress, improved GI symptoms. So, reduced diarrhea, reduced constipation, they're more regular. And this really gets to the heart of what we understand. Your food is being metabolized by your body. And one of the indicators that your body gives you that the metabolism is not going well is GI distress. And so the fact that people are metabolizing food more efficiently and effectively shows up not only in their A1C and their blood work, but also shows up for them as something they recognize right away, which is improved GI. And they're also experiencing improved energy because they're not going through these highs and lows of the sugar highs and lows throughout the day. And then really interestingly, seven out of 10 of our customers have experienced reduced sugar cravings. And that's because your gut is linked to your brain. And so if you've ever had a craving for sweets or a craving for something that you know you're not supposed to be eating, it's because your gut and your brain are linked to each other and they're sending signals to each other. And this is one of the things that's really fascinating is that people have reduced sugar cravings once they're actually having the right sugar responses through a good gut microbiome. And I just want to ask you, Colleen, because you do, you know, uh, if you're going to take glucose control, you totally, your team totally recommends that people tell their doctor and work with their health team, and you also provide support as well through pendulum glucose control. But we've had a lot of people on the show talking about how metformin really messes with their digestive system, and I'm wondering, have you, um, in wrapping this conversation up, have you seen any outcomes regarding um, that being minimized with glucose control? So we haven't done a formal clinical trial on patients uh, who are on metformin to see whether there's a reduction in their GI distress, but we definitely have customers who have talked about pairing this with metformin that now allows them to take their full dose because they're not experiencing that GI distress. And there's some evidence to show that metformin can affect your gut microbiome, and so these are really playing in the same digestive system here. And so um, it's really important to know that um, the, that, that your digestion is very much linked to the way that your body is metabolizing and, and managing sugars. And um, to get back to an earlier question that you asked, it's not just uh, once you have type 2 diabetes that you should be thinking about how your body is metabolizing sugars properly. It's if you have prediabetes, it's if you're obese, it's if you're aging, it's if you understand that one of the core things to health is the ability to metabolize sugars then this is a product that is interesting to, to people like that. And, and yes, my 13-year-old daughter is on it, I am on it, and actually my 70-year-old mother is on it. And so there's no age in which it's not important to care about the way your body is metabolizing your food and your sugars. And so this is really a totally safe product that is designed to help this underlying um, thing that all of us are dealing with, which is how do we optimize metabolism of our food? Hello, thank you so much for joining us today. I just want to tell all listeners, if you're interested more in pendulum glucose control, we'll be posting a link on our website. It's a link on this podcast. And like everything we discuss on this show, you should take this information back to your doctor and see how it could work in your, your diabetes self-management plan. Like Virginia Valentine said earlier, all, all, not everything works for everyone. So you've got to find that thing that works for you. This could be something that helps. Thanks, Colleen. Do you want to just give a uh, tell everyone what the website is, where we've got you, and then we'll listen to more music by Alita. 
Yes, um, thank you so much for having me. And I will just uh, tell you, when I got to meet Virginia, I was already, of course, her reputation preceded her, and I was super honored to get the chance to meet her. And when she said that she wanted to try the product before she started talking to anybody about it, I was a little nervous. And so I'm really thrilled that the product has done so much for her um, in terms of her diabetes as well as her weight. And it's just been a great experience to get to, to see that and, and to create a product that's helped so many people, including somebody like Virginia, um, who's so well-educated on all the different tools out there. And so if people are interested in learning more, you can go to our website, which is pendulumlife.com. Thank you so much for having me. Perfect. And I wish I knew you when I was in high school. You could have explained physics to me. You did such a great job today. But it's, it's a little past high school for this person. So but we're going to go back for a minute. We're going to listen to more, Aaliyah. Here's No One Knows How to Love You Quite Like Me, courtesy of Sunny Music. Let's listen. When it comes down. here on the podcast by starting the year off with a guided meditation. She's an internationally renowned yoga teacher and writer who was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes in 2008. You can all read, about, read all about her experiences at Yoga for Diabetes blog and her book. She, uh, I spoke to Rachel. I think she's an incredible inspiration, Rachel Zinman. Um, we pre-recorded this conversation because she called in from South Africa. And I, like I said at the top of the show, what you're going to hear from Rachel is just how uh, her experience in COVID and sheltering in and kind of slowing down to the pace of her life has really given her a chance to kind of reexamine how she's doing with her self-management. And in her case, she's really found some really remarkable outcomes. So I hope you enjoyed this segment with us. I'm going to sit back, relax, and do the guided meditation with you, and then we'll come back right after. Here's Rachel Sidman. Welcome back to the show, Rachel. How are you? Good. How are you? <laughs> I'm great. It's so um, it's so wonderful to have you back to help us celebrate this annual tradition of, of kicking off the year with a guided meditation. And, you know, the past year has just had so much impact on so many of our lives. I'd love to know what it's been like for you. Well, I came to South Africa exactly a year ago with the idea of being here for about six months, um, had just renewed my visa when we went into lockdown. And so I actually am someone who normally travels every month, you know, every three months. I'm never, ever in one place for very long. And that's been my life for the last 10 years. So to be in one place for a whole year has actually been incredibly grounding and healing for me. Um, I haven't experienced 
experience a lot of anxiety or trauma or, you know, any of that kind of headspace stuff because for me it's just been like this time to really go inside and reflect and, and look at the past in my life and what's worked and hasn't worked and to really do some, some inner, inner work that I wasn't really able to do when I was on the go all the time. So it's actually been probably the most profound profoundly healing year of my life. And what has that experience been like for your diabetes health? Well, that's what's really changed is because I haven't had, you know, that ongoing movement and having to try and sort out all my meals. And um, I've been able to actually explore and experiment with different things. So I was on a very low-carb diet, and now I'm on a high-carb, low-fat diet. And it's vegan, whole food, and all of that has been just an amazing transition for me because I've actually found I've had the same results um, that I was having from the low carb with the high carb. And it's really been because I've been able to experiment. You know, every day I can get up, I can try new foods, I can try new doses, I can, I can just play around. And I don't have the pressure of, okay, I've got to go out now, and, you know, now I'm going to – I have to make sure that I don't take too much insulin in case I go low. So I've had this kind of flexibility with my lifestyle and my diet that I didn't have before. So my diabetes health is actually really good this year. And, um, yeah, I think I really set a template for how I can move forward once we kind of come out of this COVID situation, which, you know, is going to stand me in good stead. Oh, that's great news to hear. Now, your past travel, though, has given you kind of insight into how people have been navigating COVID wearing face masks. I know you recently posted on Facebook that you used to take several trips to Japan, and that's initially when you first saw people wearing masks. And I'd just love to get your insight into how you view the whole idea of us coming together as a culture to kind of conquer uh, COVID-19. Yeah, so when I um, started traveling to Japan, I think it was around 2005, you know, the first thing I noticed um, was that when I got on the plane, all the, many of the Japanese people were wearing masks. And then, you know, I started going out into the cult- culture and everybody was wearing masks. And then I would go to my yoga classes to teach my classes and half the students were in masks. And I, I remember just being really confused and really wondering what was going on and asking my translator and she said to me, oh, well, you know, there's several reasons. Like either people are sick and they want to protect, but they still want to come to the event, or they have some condition where they need to protect themselves, um, you know, or it's just like, a nat- you know, some people don't want to show their teeth or whatever, you know, like little things like that. Um, and it just is part of our culture, so just don't worry about it, you know. And so from that point on, I actually started to think, oh, well, if I'm not feeling well, maybe I should wear a mask. And especially when I'm traveling, living with diabetes, it's just much safer for me not to get sick because I don't like getting sick. And so I started wearing a mask on planes and um, in more, more in public spaces um, and in situations where I didn't want to breathe in dust or, you know, because of allergies. And I noticed people would always look at me and think I was sick or something and I wasn't. And I, and I think once, you know, this whole COVID thing started and people, um, you know, in the Western culture, they're just not used to wearing masks. They feel uncomfortable. They feel like they can't breathe. Um, and 
you know, but then there are those situations like what we're going through right now where it's kind of important to protect yourself, to protect others. And, um, you know, what I used to find is I used to, when I was in Japan, I would go for, I would go shopping and buy these really colorful, creative, fun masks, you know, so that I, so that when I was actually out and about, it was like a fashion statement. And um, so I feel like that's happening more and more now. People are, you know, making masks, creating masks, using masks, and feeling more comfortable with them. Um, but I do feel it's necessary for us to, you know, get through this period to protect ourselves and to protect each other. No, I agree. And, you know, uh, everyone wants to erase the past year, but tonight we're featuring music from Aaliyah's Age Ain't Nothing But a Number album. And so I'm curious because we all have gotten a year older as much as we want to forget the past. How age has affected, how you view getting older and how age has affected living with diabetes? Because I know you've been living with type 1 diabetes now for, I believe, over a decade. Yeah, I've been living with it for nearly 13 years. Um, So, you know, I was diagnosed at 42 and now I'm 54, nearly 55. I actually think that the 50s are totally nifty. (laughs) Like, I really like being this age. I feel like a lot of my self-consciousness and self-worth issues are behind me. And I just want to do things that matter. I want to contribute in ways that matter. I want to um, you know, I want to, I've, I've resolved a lot of my sort of past relationships. Um, and I feel this sense of relaxation that I didn't have before. It's like, I don't worry so much about what to wear, what I look like, you know, um, it, it matters more what I'm offering and what I'm giving. And that's, um, and I, I see that in my parents as well. I see how, you know, what mattered to them in their 50s, you know, when I was growing up, it's like those things don't matter to them anymore. You know, something my parents said to each other, which really touched me on Thanksgiving, we did like a Zoom Thanksgiving, was that um, they just said they are so grateful they are still together and they have each other and they wouldn't have, you know, gone through this period of being in isolation for so long if they didn't have each other, um, you know, warts and all. And I think that's really kind of how I feel like I'm stepping into um, into an older, it's like an older mindset where, you know, you know, what really matters is do we have love in our lives? Can we be grateful for the things that, you know, that we have and, um, you know, what can we give to the world? No, I, I think that I, I, I'm in my 50s too. I, I feel the same way. And you, you set, touched on something that I really want to talk about regarding the guided meditation and that self-worth. Do you feel that daily practices of meditation could help people with their self-worth and self-love? And if so, how, how, does that, how would that impact those ideas that we have in our head about ourselves? Well, you know, anytime you – take your mind and you focus it in on something, you know, even something as simple as reading a book or doing a task, you're not lost in all the thoughts that you have about yourself. Yeah. Like the, like maybe the deprecate self-deprecating thoughts, or I could have done this or I could have done that, you know? Um, So when you're meditating, it's like you're able to be, you're able to almost get a glimpse of, the stillness and the peace and the beauty that's always there regardless of all the thoughts that are coming and going in your head. So being able to focus your mind, it's like you get, you get, a, you get that 
instant relaxation and freedom, you know, and that's how I see meditation as being so powerful. And that's how we'd like to kick off the new year. So with that, Rachel Zinman, I would love for you to uh, continue our tradition and lead us on a guided meditation. All right. So the meditation that we're going to do today is called the Hamsa Meditation. And the word Hamsa in Sanskrit means swan. And a swan in the tradition is said to have a very sensitive beak and it enables, and, there's, and a swan is able to distinguish the difference between pure milk from a, uh, from a mixture of milk and water. So if there's a mixture of milk and water, it can notice, it knows what's the milk and it knows what's the water. So a swan is symbolizing the ability to discriminate. And in life, um, we learn something and then we decide, you know, is this useful, isn't this useful? And we often hear in yoga that we shouldn't judge, you know, or we shouldn't judge ourselves. But judgment and discrimination is extremely useful when we're making decisions. So um, when we can't make decisions or when we feel like we're constantly having to weigh things up, we, we don't have a certain outcome, that's when the mind goes into flux and it leads us into, like, anxiety and depression and all these different things. So the best way to kind of put an end to it depression or anxiety is to actually just make a decision. Um, so to be able to make a decision, we need to focus on what's real and tangible, and that's the breath. And, you know, the breath is certain. It's reliable. It might fluctuate in how it shows up. Um, you know, it might be fast, erratic, or regular, but we actually can't get rid of our breath. So when you bring your mind to your breath, it pays attention. So in this meditation practice, we're going to work with um, four different techniques to focus the mind and develop, it, develop our ability to concentrate and focus. So first, we're going to follow the breath flowing in and out. I'm going to lead you through that. We're going to direct it up and down the spine. We're going to use an image for that. We're going to use a chant, which in Sanskrit is called mantra, and we're going to actually chant the sound, hum, sa, and hum happens on the inhale. And sa happens on the exhale. So we're going to chant the Sanskrit word for swan. Um, and then finally, we're going to reverse the sound so that uh, we're going to breathe in that sound sa, but we're actually going to say so. And then we're going to breathe out hum. I know it sounds really complicated, but when I lead you through it, it's going to be really easy. And then finally, we're going to do just a, a kind of a grounding gesture to bring ourselves back. So what I'd like you to do is just get really comfortable right now. You can lie down. You can sit on a chair. Um, whatever you need, you can sit on the floor. You can prop yourself up with a cushion. Just take a moment to get really comfortable. Close your eyes and just observe your breath. Notice that your breath is constant. It's coming in. It's coming out. And you might even notice the sensations that come along with the breath, the, the movement that's happening in your body. Just whatever it is, just, just be present with that. And then just imagine that you can feel your breath. On the inhalation, it's moving from the base of your body all the way up to the crown of your head. And on the exhalation, you can almost imagine the breath flowing from the crown of the head all the way down to the base of your body. So as you inhale, you just imagine the breath flowing up the center of the spine, 
And as you exhale, feel the breath flowing down the center of the spine. And just to make that a little bit easier to focus on, I'd like you to imagine a ball of light. And that ball of light is situated right at the base of your spine. You might even like to imagine it in between your pubic bone and your tailbone. So it's right at the perineum, the pelvic floor. And as you inhale, you draw the breath all the way up, that ball of light flowing up the whole center line of the spine, right to the crown of your head. And as you exhale, you follow that breath all the way down, right down the center of your spine, right down to the base of your body. And just do that a few times, following the ball of light from base to crown. And it all happens in your own timing. It's not my timing, it's your timing. And as you exhale, you follow the breath from the crown all the way down to the base of your body. And just do that a few more times, just following your breath in and up. And following your breath all the way down. Now, inside that ball of light, you're going to imagine this sound, hum. It's spelled H-A-M, hum. And you just you can say it out loud or you can say it to yourself. It's really up to you. You can say it inwardly. It's more potent if you say it inwardly. And as you inhale, you're going to breathe hum from the base, just in one breath, all the way up to the crown of your head. And then as you exhale in one breath from the base, from the crown, all the way down to the base, you're going to chant inwardly the sound song. And as you inhale, hum from base all the way up to the crown. And as you exhale, saw all the way down to the base. And again, follow that breath, that ball of light, and that sound. Hum up to the ground. And as you breathe out, saw down to the base. And just do that again. Just in your own breath timing. Hum. You might notice that your breath is becoming very, very calm. You might notice that it's almost like you want to let go of focusing on the breath and you just want to focus on the sound. Hum. Sa. You don't even want to imagine the ball anymore. You just want to feel hum from base to crown. And sa from crown to base. Hum. From base to crown, and sa, from crown to base. And just do that a few more times, just noticing your energy getting very fine, finely tuned. If your mind wanders, just bring it back to the sound, hum, sa, hum, Now, just on your next inhalation, we're going to reverse that now. So as you inhale, imagine the, as you're breathing in the sound, so. And don't worry about directing the breath anyway now. Just breathe in the sound, so. And then breathe out the sound, hum. Breathing in the sound, so. Breathing out the sound, hum. 
You might even imagine that as you're breathing in, that so is coming all the way down to the base of the body. And as you're breathing out, hum, it's traveling from the base out through the nostrils. And as you breathe in, you're breathing in so through the nostrils down to the base of your body. And you're breathing out, hum. And just do that a few more times. So hum is actually the sound that the breath makes all the time as you're breathing. We don't hear that sound, but that's the imperceptible sound. So on the inhalation and hum on the exhalation. Sometimes if you put your hands over your ears and you breathe in, you'll actually hear that sound. So as you breathe in and hum as you breathe out. All right, and then just let go of the breath and just sit quietly for a moment. And just notice how you feel. You might even feel yourself taking a nice deep breath. That means your nervous system, your parasympathetic, your relaxed nervous system is kicking in. And just notice that feeling of stillness, relaxation. Whatever's there, just welcome it. And then gently bring your hands together and just rub your hands together now. And then put your hands on your eyes so you can feel the warmth of your hands on your eyes. And then slide your hands down your face to the front of your throat. You might even want to cross one hand on top of the other. And then slide your hands to the back of your neck. You can even massage the back of your neck a little bit. And then slide your hands across your shoulders along the front of your body until you bring your hands to your heart. So you've got one hand on top of the other at your heart center. Slide your hands down to your navel. Slide your hands over your thighs, over your knees, into your calf muscles, into the soles of your feet if you're sitting on the floor. If not, don't worry. You might just want to rub down your shins. And then just relax. And when you're ready, just coming back. Fantastic. I love that. I did it. I feel it feels <laughs> it's really um rejuvenating. I did enjoy it. That was really wonderful. What a way to kick off the year. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. You know, this year I'm making recipes, not resolutions, but maybe a resolution you want to consider is just being more present. Or like Rachel said, just listening to your voice, uh following your breath. Well, you know, when we come back, we're going to go clear away some of that chaos and find out what the term GMO means to Dr. Darren Wayne. In the meantime, it's time for more music with our deep inspiration for January, Aaliyah. Here's I'm Down, courtesy of Sony Music. Let's listen.
Diabetes Late Night. I'm Mr. Diva Bedek. My next guest is a food scientist and a healthy, low-carb food coach who for over the last 30 years has helped people with kidney disease, cardiovascular disease, and diabetes to manage their symptoms through some low-carb foods. He's joining us to educate us on what genetically modified foods commonly known as GMOs are. Please welcome Dr. Darren Wayne. Hello, Dr. Darren. How are you tonight? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for joining us. We're all very centered now, thanks to Rachel Zinman. So I thought it'd be kind of nice to begin our discussion over the next year about food politics, and I'm grateful for you to join us to get a better understanding of genetically modified food. That's a big uh, name, and I know people go, uh, call it GMO. So tell us, what is that, and how did it first appear on our grocery shelf? Well, GMO stands for genetically modified organism. And basically what that means is you take an organism, you take its DNA, and you modify it. <laughs> you can modify it to express something stronger, let's say a deeper color, uh, in the case of food, of course, a deeper color, um, even thicker skin. But, of course, the GMOs we hear about today are, are not designed to simply change its shape and color, but to be actually more resilient in nature. And this is really why um, GMOs started to begin with. And nowadays we find them everywhere. Um, every single shelf across the country, every supermarket, every grocery store, health food store, gas station shelf, <laughs> they're filled with GMOs everywhere now. And so what, would, what are some of the common GMOs? Like what would be something, like you're saying on the grocery shelf, what would I find that has GMOs in it? Well, corn um, and sugar beets, of course, are um, – uh, the biggest GMO crops in the country, and they're pretty much found in 99.9% of every every um, box, bag, and can you find on store shelves these days. And there are and so why, um, a why of they, other plants. Why, I, I have heard of the corn and the GMO thing. Why do why is corn genetically modified? I mean, when I go to my um, farm market, it seems perfectly fine during the summertime in the Hamptons to buy corn. It's delicious. I love to have that uh, sometimes with my meals. So why why would anyone want to genetically modify corn? Well, it's it's not that anyone wants it. <laughs> Certainly uh, the, the the public didn't um, suddenly say to the government, oh, hey, modify our corn because we, we like modification. Of course not. It, it stems back to the 1980s um, when Monsanto came onto the scene and started to figure out how can they control our food supply. And they obviously can't control or patent seeds that nature grew, but they can modify something and then patent that. And so there began the entire, um, I guess, GMO <laughs> um, labels that we now see prevalent everywhere. But in the beginning, that is really what they wanted to do. They wanted to control our food supply. And it just came down to control. Now, sometimes this makes our food cheaper, sure, because you can mass produce um, modified food a lot, a lot easier than you can simply growing it. But there's a lot of downsides to that as well. And so what would be a downside about GMOs? Because since there are so many, I'm just curious, like, why would some of our listeners who might be interested in finding out more, what, what can you tell them? that uh, some of the things to watch out for? Well, as much as I'd like to tell all your listeners to simply type in um, the, the negative side effects of GMOs online, <laughs> I do know that 
that the internet is controlled really by um, by big food and big pharma. So definitions and explanations, all of them are based on what um, a, a GMO scientist maybe might say, not not a layperson or someone who is not on anyone's payroll. So what I recommend is you actually type in um, common side effects of GMOs, read through all of them, and you'll see there's a plethora of them, thousands of them in fact, and they were never tested on humans. They were just simply introduced to the food chain, and they hoped that no one would die from it. But now we see that chronic illness is worse than ever before. Illnesses that were never meant to be chronic are now chronic. And one out of two Americans <laughs> are now chronically ill or sick. And sure, everyone blames the genes, but guess what? GMOs modify the genes in humans when you eat GMOs as well. This is one of the unintended side effects of eating GMOs that they hoped no one would find out. But guess what? We're seeing it every single day. But no one's looking at that. No one reads labels. No one understands anything that they read. And so they just buy it because it's cheap and tastes good. But knowing where GMOs come from and how they actually alter your own DNA and RNA, you can better understand how to actually prevent your own illnesses. But this education is completely lost. You don't learn in any schools nowadays either. Well, I think, uh, Dr. Darren, that a lot of people are overwhelmed by this. You know, you go to the grocery store, you try to yeah. find low-sodium spaghetti sauce, and I've walked away disgusted. So I, I do feel uh, specifically with our listeners who are living with affected by and um, uh, at risk for diabetes as well as pre-diabetes that sometimes learning about your food just becomes so frustrating. So I'm just curious, you know, um, if, I, if, I, if I bought a product at a gas station, let's say, how could I find out if it has GMOs? Is it marked that it has GMOs, or is that something that I'm responsible for myself to begin to, uh, to research? The only way you can decide if a food product has GMOs in it is to look on the label for the organic certification. That is the only certification in the country that guarantees by law – now, this, this doesn't mean there are, there are cheaters and, and criminals out there trying to circumvent this, but nevertheless, it is at least the strictest food certification in the entire country, if not the world, where GMOs are prohibited. And nowadays, you can find very cheap certified organic food. But here's the thing, even with the organic certification. It's guaranteed 95% certified organic. And that means the other 5% can actually still be GMOs. Now, that's why you should look for two seals now, right? One, certified organic, and the second one, GMO-free. Those two seals will absolutely guarantee that the product you're buying is 100% GMO-free. That's really the only way nowadays. And let's just talk a little bit about organic, because you and I were chatting online about this uh, early on, about um, some of the thoughts you had around organic and how, in many ways, the big food companies have been challenging people not to take that term organic seriously, and they've been actually communicating to people that there really isn't a difference between something organic and something that's non-organic. Can you... Uh, I, I know this is political for some people, and I, again, I assume that some people would be a little bit overwhelmed and frustrated by this, but can you explain why, what would be the pros and cons to someone 
telling us not to take organic seriously? Well, when someone says um, organic is just the same as the GMOs or there's no nutrient level difference between eating certified organic or eating pesticide-raised food, I, I ask them a simple question. I say, would you want to eat pesticides directly from the can? And they're like, well, of course not. So then you do agree that it's poison. Well, yes, to a certain degree it's poison. So if you ate a lot of that every single day, do you think that would hurt your health? Well, yes, of course. Well, then let me ask you this. If you did not eat any pesticides or herbicides or chemical fertilizers every day, do you think your health would be better? Just forget the whole word about organic. Just differences between eating poison and not eating poison. Would that make a difference to your health? Well, any sane person would obviously answer, yes, it would make a difference. Well, that's what certified organic guarantees. But again, if you're going to eat food that's guaranteed, at least by law, to not have any of these carcinogens that make you sick, and compare that to food that is guaranteed to have pesticides that make you sick, which one, just based on your own logic and common sense, would you want to eat? So any sane person will obviously answer the latter. But there are people that just don't care about logic or common sense or even the law. They just simply want to believe the propaganda that Big Pharma and Big Food has created. And these people are, are almost always chronically ill. And they stay that way until they die. Now, diabetics, they unfortunately... A lot of these foods uh, are so plentiful. And, you know, we had uh, Virginia Valentine earlier on, and she works with underserved communities in New Mexico. And so I'm just curious, like... Hearing this information, you are kind of making me want to go out and get organic. And, you know, a lot of people think it costs too much. So what is like a baby step for people who who might be considering what you're saying about the amount of pesticides and other things in these foods uh, as far as like starting to make better choices? Because, again, I know when we start to talk to people about what's on their plate, there's a lot more involved than just our minds. There's a lot of emotions and a lot of and finances and other things come into play. So, what is your sure. like baby step to get me from uh, not maybe getting something that uh, just to get me to start thinking more about organic as a as something I should add to my meal plan? Yes, I was, I was going to touch on the importance of taking baby steps um, with diabetics. How important it is, of course, that they start changing what they eat daily and not jumping right in by simply replacing everything they eat with everything only certified organic, but really starting out with like maybe one or two fruits or three or four vegetables or maybe just only buying at least certified organic produce, starting with that. And produce these days for organic food is cheaper than ever before. In fact, when it's in season, it's even cheaper than pesticide-based food. So that's the best baby step to have. And as far as labels are concerned, just look for that organic certification and GMO-free. That will guarantee that it is absolutely 100% GMO-free. I love it. I think. I, I mean, I, I appreciate this. I, I really, I, I think this is a, this topic, even for me, is overwhelming. I've, wa- I've read a lot about it. I would think a lot of people uh, would find this confusing and would be kind of curious to know why someone's trying to do something that isn't really trying to help us with our optimum health. 
So shedding light on this and the way you're doing it tonight is really helpful. Tell us a little bit as we wrap up about uh, Neobetics. That's the, the low-carb food uh, that you're offering and, and how people could find out more about that. Of course, yes. Um, I, I had to make Neobetics um, out of necessity because over the years I, of course, had to tell people where to eat and how to find their food. But the food these days, especially low-carb foods, are completely processed, and they're created in factories. And preservatives, additives, it's, it's terrible out there. And so out of necessity, I created Neobetics. I formulated it myself using 15 of the healthiest superfoods on earth, and I grew them in very limited soil that's left that's still 100% contaminant-free. Every diabetic who starts eating this can immediately start to see and feel the difference in their blood sugar and their, um, their insulin, which is also a hormone. And you can find this at mealbetics.com, M-E-A-L-B-E-T-I-X.com, and I'll even send you a meal for five bucks just so you can try it and see that you like it. Great. All right. Well, I'm going to have you, want to have you back to talk more about how the meat industry is affecting our health as well, Dr. Darren Rain. Thank you so much for joining us tonight on Diabetes Late Night. All right. We're going to come back with – we're going to give the final word to Patricia Addy-Gentle because yesterday when I was doing all my Googling, I uh, found a uh, video from 2006 from Divabetic's first national – Diabetic makeover your diabetes. I, I think I had to do it just to kind of relive my history and to realize that I've spent 18 years advocating for diabetes. And in that video, I appear, and so does Patricia Addy Gentle. We were together at the Fox Theater in Atlanta presenting Diabetic makeover your diabetes. Patricia, I know you watched the video. Tell us, take, take us a walk down memory lane in our final moments of the podcast. Max, that video brought back so many memories, and I just am amazed to see how our programs, our format, our outreach, everything has evolved, and I feel that we are reaching so many people, even though we enjoyed the on-site programs. Um, the Make Over Your Diabetes programs were wonderful, but our outreach is tremendous. I mean, even in Tanzania, so just look where we've evolved from. So I, I have thoroughly enjoyed, and hats off to you because you are the mastermind behind all of this. So um, we have truly, I feel that our outreach is tremendous, and we we have truly um, affected so many lives for the better. And I thank you, and I'm so proud to work with you. And hats off to you, Patricia, for being my first, one of my very first educators that I ever met. I know you have a new term besides certified diabetes educator. I think it's um, diabetes education and care specialist. I, I want to get that right. Um, and I just want to say, you and I are working with Mary, Marianne Nikolai to start a new subscription box series at Divabetics this year. We're going to be working to put together three subscription boxes for a small fee that will include in that box products that you, Marianne, and I are curating to find great products in beauty and health that could help spur you to feel better. So many people have joined us on our Zoom calls, on this podcast, watch your videos, follow us on Facebook, and want more as we all shelter in and try to take care of ourselves in this new normal. So look for more information coming out soon on that on our subscription box, Land More, Fear Less. 
In the meantime, I want to thank all our guests for kicking off 2021 with us tonight. Uh, don't miss next month's February podcast. Patricia, you said you're going to do a whole thing on uh, blood um, blood pressure monitors at home, which ones are good, which ones are bad, and which ones we might not want to spend money on, right? Absolutely. That's right. That's going to be that your report. Be real, real good knowledge uh, to before you go out, go out to purchase your blood pressure monitor. Well, and hopefully if they do, they'll be at their best because that's our final song from Aaliyah tonight. Remember, every diva has an entourage, and I'm so glad to be part of yours. Let's get happy and stay healthy together. Here's Aaliyah with At Your Best, You Are Love, courtesy of Sony Music. Good night, everybody. Let me know that-